Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon, Welcome to At the End of the Day. I'm your host, Jason Baranchuk, and I am joined once again by my esteemed colleague uh, and I would say friend, Thomas77. Hi, Thomas. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for hosting me. What do you think of the intro? I like it. It's, uh, it, it's, I, I like the sax. Um, I like the, I like the smooth jazz kind of vibe. Yeah, I, th I thought like uh, when I was putting it together, I'm like, Thomas is gonna like this one. I think, <laughs> Thomas, we've had an interesting week. Uh, people who are viewing this in the future, uh, I'll give you a little bit of reference point. Uh, we had uh, Bukele just won re-election in, in El Salvador by such a massive margin. It's uh, it's it's notable. I think it's just historically notable. Uh, I think he's the final, the final total was around ninety percent. Uh, and we had Tucker Carlson interviewing, going over to Russia and interviewing Vladimir Putin. Um, and Putin then proceeded to give uh, basically a half hour uh, in-depth um, Muscovite-centered uh, history lesson, uh, which it was kind of weird when I was when I was listening to it. I kind of like, I'm like, this almost sounds like a Pete and Thomas episode, really. <laughs> um, it's kind of strange. But uh, where would you like to start? Thomas, I mean, now everyone, of course, is throwing the word dictator around. I'll just show you this one. This I, I found this. Um, uh, the Western media is doing some weird stuff now. This is a Time, Time magazine, probably one of the most normy uh, publications ever. Uh, and they've run with the, with the headline, the world's coolest dictator, uh, Nayib Bukele claims El Salvador presidential re-election. The uh, term world's coolest dictator is uh, something I guess uh, Bukele himself has ironically claimed. But if, even for time to run with that headline, I thought I think it's telling. Um, and of course, Putin is being Putin. So, um, Thomas, where would you like to start? I mean, both those things are connected. There's this really strange part of it's a Cold War hangover, part of it's just conceptual illiteracy. Regime media is obsessed with this idea of things being not democracy and calling outlier regimes or regimes that it wants to cast in a punitive light as dictatorships. Like that doesn't really, outside the Cold War paradigm, that doesn't really make any sense. You know, I mean, there is, you talk about the free world contra the captive nations and the dictatorships when, you know, when the Warsaw Pact dominated, you know, one fifth of this planet or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a relative signifier and pretty much other than, I made this point the other day. Um, so forgive me. I'm not even a senior moment by repeating myself. It's just that I can't think of another way to describe it. And it's an important point that needs to be driven home. You know, since 1989, since November 9th, 1989, and after and the aftermath, other than very peculiar regimes like North Korea or like Saudi Arabia that owing to kind of atavistic cultural phenomenon or owing to bizarre geostrategic conditions, you know, have kind of like a siege government or are under an actual monarchy, pretty much every government on this planet is structured the same. I mean, yeah, their political values vary radically and, you know, there's cultural features that you know, make some features more paramount than others. But this idea that, you know, there's some kind of like tremendous diversity in how government is structured and some governments are dictatorships and other ones are purportedly open to the common man. Like that doesn't, it's, it's not even like a value judgment. It's just like it, that just on, in concrete terms, that that's a logical fallacy, you know, um, in America, since really this precedes Nixon, as early as uh, the late Eisenhower administration, this kind of weird narrative developed in America that a chief executive with too much power is, 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 is dangerous. You know, the imperial executive. Like why it doesn't bother anybody that, you know, the federal judiciary is basically all powerful and then literally the people who's in the federal bench can never be ejected, you know, unless they commit actual murder or something like that. It doesn't, it, that doesn't really track, but there's this kind of, there's, there's this kind of basic as hell narrative that any man who sits, any, any man who, you know, 
exerts too much authority from the executive position or any chief executive, you know, who who holds the office, you know, too long, according to some arbitrary metric, is a dictator, and that's bad. But, you know, these literally senile fools like Nancy Pelosi being like congressman or senator for life, like that, that's okay, apparently. But it, you know, and it traditionally the way, and especially in a place like El Salvador, which is a, a country with kind of a tragic history, but also, you know, Latin America is a lot more like Europe than it's like, the United States, you know, like in terms of its political cultures and stuff. And I think people overlooked that. And, you know, uh, executive authority, well, you know, even if it's only kind of symbolic and superficial, is uh, really kind of the anchor of those political cultures, you know, um, optically, conceptually, and otherwise. So this idea that it's like weird or dangerous or somehow improper for the kind of for government to kind of orbit around uh, a president or a or a prime minister who's a, a president all but name you know in some latin american country i mean that's really that's really kind of a conceptually illiterate take on stuff i mean that's that's what jumps out at me first and foremost yeah well i mean it's it seems to be like this carryover from almost the 19th century when they were going after the monarchy um and this sort of uh, you know, it's it's strange to think that absolute monarchy was really more of a pr product of the Enlightenment than it was from any kind of medieval uh, sense. So it, usually when you say monarchy, people think of like King Arthur living in a castle. Um, but really what what would you say is, was functional monarchy in, in, in any kind of modernist terms was that sort of progressive uh, sense of monarchy. And, and I think that's the same sting they put on dictators. You know, uh, you've said quite eloquently uh, many times that, you know, 1945 was the sort of the, the wasn't just the winning over over fascism. It was it was the complete destruction of the, of, uh, of the right wing politics in the West. Um, I want to touch on something else you've said quite often. I've, I've always thought was pretty self-evident, but people seem to have a real uh, mental hiccup about is that we have to view the 20th century uh, as sort of an anomaly as at least at least historically uh that we can we can certainly see the lead up to it from things having the 18th and 19th century politically but really everything that happened in the 20th century seems to be truly bizarre and to continue to use it as a template into into the 21st uh i think is where we're getting a lot of this destructive western urges like people are going this is insane like uh the responses from from uh political leadership um and and the press is unhinged now and it's getting impossible to make any kind of excuses for it not that we would but you know it's it's becoming so, so self-evident that people are, are they're finally um making comments about biden being completely out completely out of it which i mean <laughs> it's kind of stunning it's taken this long you had tucker and putin have that long conversation where Putin riffs on on you know a thousand years of of Russian history off the cuff, and then they had the brilliant idea of putting poor ass Biden up there to do a speech about how he's actually not mentally incompetent after what it was a court or a medical court deemed him that he would be he wouldn't be able to stand trial for anything because he's too mentally incompetent. Like th this doesn't it doesn't make sense anymore. So maybe you can help us make make sense of it. Let's go back to that comment you made that the 20th century should be viewed as an anomaly i'm i'm paraphrasing uh put it any way you like uh but uh let's dig into that because i think that's that's really key to understanding basically i think it's, it's a key diagnostic to understand what where we are right now well part of the problem is it's the same issue with what joseph schumpeter said about economics and his big his big rebuttal to Keynes was the book business cycles it's a two-volume book I'm going somewhere with this, so forgive me if it seems like an unsequitur. Um, the room is yours. The, um, he made, Schumpeter made the point that if you want to understand, he said, look, talking about boom and bust cycles in national economics is misguided because you basically have to look at like centuries long increments. Okay. Like if you want to discern like true like business cycles, okay, you got to look, your dad has got to go back like 300 years. Okay. 
if you want to discern actual patterns um, and if you want to understand, you know, what's what's going to facilitate in the long term, like the greatest, um, the most efficient allocation of capital, as well as uh, the greatest cultivation of wealth, which in absolute terms is, you know, what what serves uh, the body politic. You know, I mean, there's there's always going to be tragedies, the commons in the short term. So you got to look at a you've got, you've got to look at a centuries long timeline. You, know, you kind of have to put aside the present sense perspective of individual men's lives you know in in, in war and peace matters and in, in political affairs that's even more so you know so this um so people look at the 20th century in some kind of isolation or something where it's just i mean and that's the problem with a lot of like actual political realists and i know that a lot of people on the right you know approve of that kind of conceptual model and there's 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 still there's there's definitely like legitimate um there's definitely like legitimate postulates there that do bring conceptual matters into more high relief, um, proverbially speaking. But even they, you know, they act like, oh, the state system, you know, the, the national state, you know, being like the kind of dominant political actor in strategic landscape, that's just permanent, you know, and oh, the reason why the reason why the 20th century was so violent. You know, it's just because of the capabilities that were, you know, captured by these national states, you know, and and, um, you know, capabilities are, are what drive, you know, anxieties about national survival and, you know, the ability to defend oneself. I mean, that's 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 totally wrong, you know, and um, the conditions that led to the conflict cycle. You know, you got to look at you got to look at World War One, World War Two and the Cold War, you know, 1914 to November 1989. Like you've got to look at it as a like you gotta look at it in terms of a common a common nexus of causality. And it was essentially, you know, the it, it was essentially the a singular event. Okay. Um and that never that pretty much never ever ever happens. Like that convergence of circumstances that you know create that kind of violent and punctuated disturbance like over decades. And what otherwise, you know, is a basically stable power paradigm globally, you know, like actual. I mean, conflict uh, is is a is, is it's a spectrum, you know. I mean, there's always there's something we learned from Machiavelli is that um, there's always the, the con conflict is conflict is endemic, but like warfare is not. Open warfare is incredibly rare, you know, in absolute terms. So to pretend that like, well, you know, if there's not if there's not some sort of conflict resolution venue, you know, like the United Nations or something equivalent, you know, there's going to be a nuclear war or, you know, if there's not these kinds of if there's not complex interdependence, you know, to create these IGOs, you know, to, to sustain these IGOs like NATO, it's just going to be war all the time. Like uh, that doesn't make any sense, you know, and it's not um, it's not premised on anything, but. An anomalous set of conditions, you know, that are now decades out of date. So, I mean, it's part, it's partly um, an inability to kind of understand the nature of war and peace cycles, and uh, you know, a um, and 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 an unwillingness to kind of to kind of situate oneself in terms of vantage point, you know, from a truly historical perspective. You know, it's one part just like raw ignorance and people that aren't really capable of grasping these things, like in any sort of like meaningful depth. Um, and it's part of uh, the fact that, you know, like I'm always emphasizing to people, they don't, you, know, you don't live under like the government of John Adams and George Washington and just, you know, 300 years subsequent with, you know, with, with modern features having been developed, you know, it's really got nothing in common with, with that, with, 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 with that, um, with those origins, you know, like the government you live under is the government of 1933, um, it's an obsolescent 20th century artifact. The way it's structured, it's basically structured to fight a general war um, against uh, against against the Axis powers, or you know, in terms of its force structure, um, and in terms of everything incident to that, it's basically only structured to fight the Cold War. So it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna perennially be like seeking out like some kind of raison d'etre. 
and uh, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna claim that the 20th century and the conditions of the 20th century are just like somehow like unchanging and perennial because without without those things it doesn't have a reason to exist. Yeah, no, excellently put. Um, I think there's uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna fire something across your bow and see what you can do with it. Before I do that, thank you for everyone who's joining in on the on the stream. Thank you everyone who's been watching us and subscribing to us and sharing us. Uh, we have been seeing growth upon growth, and that's always it's always uh, uh, nice to see. It's very encouraging. Uh, if you want to send uh, any super chats while we're talking with Thomas, I'll read them out at the end of the stream. If you have any questions uh, or comments, or just want to say thanks, Thomas. Money you send me always goes out quite often. Uh, other than paying the general bills, make sure I subscribe to uh, all my guests' Substacks or websites, or make donations, or do what I can to help out. So you give me money, I give them money. It's a nice deal. Uh, and thanks again. We appreciate each and every one of you. So Thomas, um, one thing you said there was that, uh, is like conflict is common, but war is rare. Uh, I would think that that part of the reason for that is that, you know, war is a, is a, essentially a zero sum game. You're putting everything on the line. Your, 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 your victory isn't guaranteed. Uh, something I just wrote down here is it's war is rare for civilizations that value themselves. Uh, because you obviously don't want to just possibly lose everything you have unless you're really, unless, you know, unless the, the, the conflict is, has become, uh, let's say existential on some level. Uh, and we're certainly seeing that with Putin and Russia, I've heard a lot of people as even, uh, Dugan has talked about this, like getting into a civilizational frame, uh, and thinking civilizationally, thinking, thinking bigger than oneself on multiple dimensions. One of the things that Matt Erickson from Kingpilled and I have been developing uh, is this concept called civilizational capital. Um, we're saying that basically civilizations uh, basically generate capital or human competency and reinvest it into different domains, both the social, economic, and political, and that that's held together by a regio. And the regio can be can be religion, leadership, or state, or all you know, or all of the above. Regio is basically something that binds. Um, one of the things that I found really amazing uh, when I started thinking about it this way is that you th you know you go back to nineteen in nineteen sorry in nineteen eighty nine I watched the Berlin Wall fall uh, on TV. I was twelve years old, and that kind of politically activated me. Because it was, I remember seeing it and realizing that something really big was happening. Like you know, the 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 fall of the wall was big enough, but like something even bigger was really happening. And then throughout the '90s, I think people who weren't coming of age that, during that time don't really have access to how hopeful things became. Like there was definitely a vibe and energy overall, uh, especially in, our, in my with my parents' generation, and. You see all that, and you, you've beaten this big existential foe. The Cold War is done. Soviet Empire has fallen. All this stuff is going on, and yet we didn't build anything. I mean, we built strip malls. Like all that capital that just got freed up, both material and immaterial, just didn't go anywhere, or didn't go anywhere re reflective of the civilization. Like where are the monuments of like the Berlin Wall falling with Reagan's pointing at you know pointing at Gorbachev, Mister Gorbachev, you tear down that wall. Like you had all that stuff that. You would normally think at the end of the uh, at the end of the world wars or any self-respecting civilization would would celebrate it would build some silly stupid stuff just because they could uh and we didn't do that and i think that's that's more of an indication of that we don't live in a civilization anymore we have functionality and there's there, everything you know we, we're just basically tribal people with very advanced rocks and I think it's a it's almost a mind worm. It's almost like a litmus test for people to present that information to someone, and if they reject it and go, no, 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 liberalism good, individualism good, all these things good, we still live in a civilization. It's like, okay, then you have to start explaining a whole bunch of other stuff to me because I I don't see it. Um, I know there's a lot to kind of uh, toss at you, but uh, any thoughts on that general on 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 those general premises? Yeah, I'm constantly making the point to younger people that the insinuation of Bill Clinton into office was jarring because the guy was literally this vulgar buffoon, you know? Um, and um, I make the point a lot to people and I advise, I suggest people look up some of what Nixon was saying. Nixon enjoyed something of a Renaissance 
at the end of his life. And um, around the time of the Gulf, around the time of the the Warsaw Pact's capitulation and the the fall of the inner German border, as well as the Gulf War, he was kind of he became ubiquitous again, like in in um in media. And his writings from around 89, 90, 91, he was very much on board with like the Bush Baker um vision. And now I'm not saying that's a vision that people should hold out as 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 lofty, particularly. But it was, you know, a vision of historical development. Like their idea was, you know, the reason why Gorbachev and Shevard Narze were their guys, contra Yeltsin, they didn't want the Soviet Union to be dismantled, at least until full disarmament had been accomplished. They wanted total nuclear disarmament of the former Warsaw Pact. They wanted to draw down conventional forces to the level, basically like Weimar levels, okay, like. The Soviet Union would have some kind of like internal like militia or constabulary force. And then, you know, there would be the Commonwealth of Independent States was actually like a bakerism. It was like, okay, like, let's have this kind of like devolved federal structure. You know, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, Russia is always going to be, Russia, Russia, you know, um, these, these, these newly independent republics are always going to orbit around Russia. So, I mean, let, let's, let's sustain some kind of interdependence there. And basically, that was that was that was what, that was going to be like the world government, okay? Um, you were going to have essentially, uh, the, like Russia was going to re- retain like its sphere of influence, like east of uh, east of the Oder. Um, you know, it was uh, it was it was going it was going to fully integrate into the world market, you know, um. And there was going to be this like renaissance of like science and technology and, you know, like economic development and like efficient allocation of capital. Because now, like, you know, this, you know, this half the planet that had like cut itself off behind these garrison walls was now going to be like fully integrated. And again, like I'm not I'm not saying that's some like marvelous utopia or that people should think that's like the best of all possible outcomes. But it was at least a sophisticated vision of a. the future moving forward and bush and baker and these like these internal discussions in the white house they were talking about how like nato was obsolete they were talking about how like we've got to reconstitute our force structure like that all got blown up um with the election of clinton and the kind of shift of these you know not just kind of awful people with with these kinds of vulgar conceits but these people were just they they were just stupid you know like they were um their vision of like you know um with with the Warren Christopher's and Madeleine Albright's like State Department you suddenly got these people who like didn't even speak a foreign language like their whole thing was just you know kind of like t- talking hostile talking points about you know whether it's directed at Serbia or directed at Saudi Arabia or Sudan or the Russian Federation just basically handing out report cards to people about how they're bad guys like I this uh this kind of reckless and and an incoherent application of military force without provocation. You know, it's like America just rapidly lost its mind. And um, the Bush-Baker kind of coterie, like that was like the last competent generational coterie in Washington. I mean, it was twofold because after them, you know, you had these people who kind of came of age and then in the culture of 1968, um, you know, who had literally and figuratively perverse ideas about about the human condition and as well as you know government and more prosaic things but it's also you know then what 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 kind of exacerbated the that kind of that that phenomenon was the commonty crisis because after 1989 like guys who had things going on in their life didn't want to do with government you know like it was like a guy like a guy like elon musk if this was 1984 he'd be working on sdi you know, like Jerry Parnell was, but like guys were winners. They they don't want any government's for losers. It's for losers, like psychos, like crazy narcissists who think they deserve to be famous. You know, like there's that's why these people seem so bizarre. Like they are bizarre. You know, and like you're not, um, you know, these. Uh, it's um, you know, um, so that I mean that 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 that's why. But it's also I mean that's the hollowness of um. That's the hollowness of, uh, of the American way, you know, post-1933. Uh, I mean, the roots of it, in my opinion, are 
are deeper. It's, you know, in, in the kind of the kind of tyranny of values that emerged ab- after the war between the states and things. But there's not, I mean, that's why that was kind of the point of uh, that was the point of the third position is post war was that, you know, it's the, the American system's not better than communism. You know, it might, it might be less physically brutal. It, it might be less prone to, you know, trying to forcibly condition people into, um, in, you know, into, into, into political goals. But it, it creates pointless societies. And I mean, aside from the fact that that's, you know, harmful to the culture, which is availed to the authority of these structures, you know, it's not that that's not really um, that, that, that a regime that, that creates pointless societies isn't isn't really long for this earth because like nobody's you're not not only is nobody in the most extreme iteration of a power political life. Nobody, nobody's going to fight and die for it, number one. But also, I mean, in more kind of day to day terms, like nobody's nobody's going to be like, you know, I'm going to work for less money just so they can like serve the U.S. government. You know, like why would they do that? You know, it's like so that. You know, so so there can be more like so we can so we can you know have more like sex education in schools so that we can have more more like diversity um more more like diversity commissars who consult with universities about how to about, about how to make the student body you know look like America. I mean, like why nobody again nobody has anything going on in their life wants anything to do with that. You know, so that's that's kind of my read on it. Um, yeah, there's a there's a quote I'm going to misquote here, but it's essentially that Rome. Rome was great not because of what Rome did, but because of 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 the love people had for Rome, and I feel that's it's kind of something about civilization is that or great civilization is that it reflects the people and the people reflect it, so that you're basically no matter where you go or no matter uh, you know where you find yourself, you are you are taking that part of that civilization along with you. You 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 represent it in many ways. It's why colonialism could work at all. Because the British Empire was able to, or just just to name one, was able to substantiate itself across many different places, uh, and present its civilization in foreign lands. Now we can you, people can have their commentary about about uh, uh, about colonialism, you know, the uh, the after effects. But at the time, it was a functioning system. Uh, you know, Eric Prince is now making making noises saying that we should really go back to colonialism. That you know, it's time to to uh to uh inflict <laughs> western governance on on uh, developing nations again because they can't get their their uh, shit together um i think we need to get our shit together first before we go on, a, on I mean, that's all yeah that's the whole thing i mean like it's not if you're if you're a fundamentally destabilizing element like the united states is you're the opposite of a civilizing force you know like i we need we need to we need to invade Sudan so that like they 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 can they can help gay guys feel better about their lifestyle or I mean I it's like what the um George Kennan who I have more and more respect for as I age um you know during his brief tenure as the ambassador to the Soviet Union he made the point in one of his journals that one of the most bizarre things he's ever seen is is like a Soviet funeral of like of one of the nomenclature because obviously you know, nobody eulogizes the decedent with any appeal to tradition or or providence. It's just this like gobbledygook about like the good things he did for the party. You know, what I mean, it's like there's there's something he said there's something not just like gross about it, figuratively literally, but like ominous. You know, because it was like these you, you could tell these people were like really reaching for some for some for some way to like enshrine. Um, this proceedings that it wasn't just like a charade you know and a, and a worship of of empty phraseology you know under auspices of of um of an honored um practice you know and that's um i mean that's what makes me uh that, that's why people like prince like make me laugh like you know it's i mean, I mean there's nothing funny about it whether it meets the road but it's not like you know if you don't if you're not, um, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna abolish reason like America has, but then claim that the rest of the planet, whether it's Russia or Dar al Islam or the Chinese or whatever, you're gonna claim that like they're morally askew. It's like, I mean, based on what, you know, like based on your your arbitrary preferences about, you know, 
sex or whatever like that's that's like beyond vulgar that's like that's that's simian in its primitiveness you know i mean it, i plus i mean too it's not i mean i don't know it the something like colonialism with a capital c like isn't possible anymore and it's it's not uh i mean even as uh it's not even in world war ii uh and like during the islands campaigns in the pacifics like there were actually natives who'd like never seen a japanese or a white man before you know i mean like that's i mean it was like rare by then even but like that still existed like now i mean there's not i mean globalism does turn the world into one place like even guys in like the tribal areas of Pakistan have like a smartphone and like they know like they have a basic idea of like what the world is like you know in 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 like global capital G terms you know and like they 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 have an understanding of 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 like where they're situated you know like it's not um like clone even even where this is a good idea which is not I mean, even where America kind of committed to logos. And it actually was like in good faith terms committed to like elevating the lives of of people who were mired in, you know, like ignorance and, and paganism, like actual paganism. Like it wouldn't like that it, it wouldn't work. You know, I mean it um and the uh you know, so it's not um it's not it's not something to be talked about in, in in like as in meaningful terms, you know. Um yeah, you can't have pagan, basically, civilizations that's descended in more or less into some sort of neo-paganism, which we have in the West, can't exactly be fighting the forces of paganism abroad. It just doesn't doesn't work that way. Well, yeah, and, and it's also, I mean, at the end of the day, the, I mean, I think the national state's on its way out. I mean, I know it is, and it's, it's, its significance and its ability to kind of assert sovereign primacy has been deteriorating for decades now, but the... But the national state, like the Westphalian national state, really the only rationalization for its existence is if it's guaranteeing the posterity of the people like who constitute the majoritarian culture, you know, which, 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 which also, which obviously also actually mainly comes to body politic. If it's not capable of doing that, or if in the case of America and, um, you know, these places occupied with hostility by America, like Europe, not only is it not capable of doing that, it's just like actively doing the opposite of that. You know, like it can't, it can't be rationalized. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's essentially, again, uh, it's, it's, it's not only is it not pursuing reason to like elevate man above, you know, an animal nature, it's, it's proceeding deliberately against reason. You know, it's saying like, we want to eradicate culture. You know, we want we want to kill off, you know, the majoritarian cultures that make the state possible. You know, we we don't want we 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 want to like redefine you know sex as like sodomy or like or watching pornography. Like these things are like literally um uh like 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 existentially at odds with the function of the these institutions. You know, so how anybody can yeah. say like it's not just because like oh those darn liberals are just doing bad stuff like. At every level, um, this this regime is axiomatically tailored to do destructive things. Yeah, I think this it's it's bizarre to see. I think it's I've been calling it sort of like late stage liberalism. These are the results of hyper individualism. When you get you start to itemize these things down, uh, I've called liberalism uh, essentially the, the civilization killer because it it attacks like you know, going back to what I said about. Uh, civilizational capital, that regio idea, is it starts to whittle it down. It's, you know, it kills out, you know, you know Nietzsche says we've killed God. Um, then they, then they, then they kill the Kings uh, and, and uh, let's say strong leadership. Now they're dissolving the state with border, with open borders. And the, finally they're going basically their, their final result will be going after the tribe, you know, people, the family, things that bind people to themselves to give, give them history, give them an idea of sense and self that's bigger and beyond them you know, any kind of awe and wonderment is going to be completely removed. And at that point, then they have you. Like, if people are worried about, you know, neo-serfdom, like, no king ever, you know, no serf ever had to deal with that. At least a serf understood where they where they came from, who their family was, like, all these things. Their family, your family name comes all the way, quite often, all the way back to that. So, like, there is a, a connection to uh, 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 sort of a lineage. Like, you're, you are 
I wouldn't say that you are a you are basically a collective of everything that's come before you and and and, and is and being represented by you yeah. in the present day. Well, it's all the two. Uh, it's, 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 epigenetic memory is is a real thing too. It's not. This isn't just some kind of Jungian speculation or some kind of spiritual understanding of of heritage. Like like literally, like you know, in in, in genetic biological terms, and like you inherit the memories of like your race. I mean that that's crazy. You know, what I mean, like you're so yeah when you. When you eradicate, when you deracinate people, or you eradicate their ability to live historically, like you're basically you're you're you're, you're like killing off an entire lineage that, in some cases, goes back you know forty thousand years. You know, like it's it's to say it's 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 a crime against the. I mean, it's beyond a crime. It's like it's 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 abominable. You know, like it's um the destructiveness of that. You know um, it uh. But that's um yeah I mean um. The uh, well, that's why it's also um, I I encourage people to understand. I say understand because this isn't just like my discrete preference. I mean, this is reality. That you know, there's not there's not a political solution out of the problem. You know, like a, again, like it's like oh, we just need to capture the apparatus of state, or we all need to like vote Republican or something. You know, like they don't they don't understand that there's a social engineering regime. And its raison d'etre is to eradicate people's ability to live historically, and to hold a and 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 to bear identitarian characteristics, you know, beyond things related to you know raw biological impulse or appetite, or um, or, or desire or, or like irrational desire, you know. So that's um, it's like it's like saying you're going to like negotiate with with somebody who's, who's, who's decided he's going to murder you, you know, like, and, and you're going to like work it out by, you know, explaining, explaining rationally, like why, like, you know, he, he shouldn't murder you. Like, it's not a thing to work, you know? So, um, that's why, uh, I always emphasize, you know, building social capital and, um, not, and, and doing whatever you can to like, not rely on the regime for a livelihood or anything else. And that's becoming easier and easier to do if, if you've got some hustle and gumption, then you don't mind being a bit of an outlaw. I realize it's a little different for guys with families, but I know plenty of guys with families who are doing exactly what I said. I mean, like I know them in real life. When I, when, you know, when my touring season, as I call it, which goes from like March to October, basically, I literally go all over the country, like visiting our peoples. You know, I'm not just saying like, oh, I don't just do it on the internet. Like I, I see this shit, you know, face to fucking face. So, Yeah, no, it's, it, I think it's really important what you're doing and, building on that kind of concepts of like what's what is social capital you you're producing this thing that is ne not necessarily materialistic you can't even put it down to, to dollars and cents it's it's a it's a vibe it's a sense it's a it's a it's beyond a euphemism it's it, it's it's something that you can use to invest and and help build and grow things with purpose um it, it's it, what what boggles me is how people seem to be so resistant to any kind of degree of hope. Like when I started putting that, putting these things together in, in terms of uh, of a structure in order to get to, to basically present it to people, it really did. A, it when I first stumbled upon it, it, it felt like, oh, okay. Like all of a sudden, a, a weight came off because now you have purpose. Like there's something we can do. There's something we can build together, uh, and we can, you know, we can start building civilization. If you have a tribe, well let's get a village, you know, let's get a, let's get a town. Let's get, let's get that going and start building beyond, you know, be this, you know, start building something that, um, that is purposeful and good and, and civilizational. And then people come up with like, well, they're going to stop you this. They're going to do that. I'm like, yeah, they're going to do lots of things. Yeah. 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 Tornadoes and, you know, hail and frogs falling from the sky and a whole bunch of things can happen. But if you're not doing something, then, then shut up. Like, uh, I think a lot of people, they, I think a lot of people are, they're kind of addicted to this idea of of everything being of everything being insurmountable not just because it i think this is probably not entirely conscious and i mean not only does that excuse them from kind of being proactive but i think a lot of people they know something is wrong but they can't fully break out of the sort of conceptual paradigm that's like foisted upon them by states like oh well what's wrong is that like you know crime is out of control or like everybody's going to be poor because the new great depression is going to happen or you know, everybody's, everybody's been deracinated and it's, it's all hopeless, you know, and that's like, they, they become like tethered to these defeatist uh, paradigms, not even because they're being like willfully defeatist, but because they, that's the only way they can register in their, that's the only way they can like 
make sense out of like what's wrong. Like they don't have the conceptual tools at disposal, like truly unpack like what is wrong with a capital W. I think that's part of it. Like other people are just like being like weak minded and they're like, oh, everything's fucked. Like there's no hope. You know, I mean, it's also plus too, like people, especially if you're like a wood in the big city, like I am. And I mean, we, we've always been a minority up here, man. I mean, shit, even in our fucking heartland, like in a lot of states on the ground, I mean, the white man in the South was like outnumbered by black slaves. You know, if you're a wood, you're always going to walk alone. A lot of motherfuckers are going to hate you. You're going to have like a big target on your back. And you're always going to be at odds with the government. I mean, it's in our fucking heritage, man. Like we're, we're Ulster Scots who can't behave ourselves. So like people like wringing their hands about like things being difficult or like people not liking us. It's like that, that's your heritage, man. Like people aren't supposed to like us. <laughs> you know, like, it, uh, and I mean, that's, that's why you got to start thinking of yourself as an outlaw. Like I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting people start like storming trap houses or like robbing CVS for, uh, like their oxycodone stash or something. But, you know, you do have to start thinking of yourself as somebody who's like outside of this, not just not just not adjacent to the regime, but like outside of it, hostile to it and being somebody the regime recognizes as an op and wants to do bad things. Too. And once you realize that your life will become a lot less burdensome, at, at least your inner life, rather, um, you know, your your your, your waking physical life. Um, it's, it's going to make things a little harder, but it's okay. We're built for it. To kind of bring this back to Bekele a little bit, it's, I mean, if people want to see what hopefulness looks like, uh, you know, people, I find a lot of people online, especially, uh, like to con construct the regime as this all-powerful thing. We can't do anything yeah. because they're all-powerful. They're everywhere. They're, they're controlling your life and doing all these things. And it's like, well, then why the hell are you on the internet? Like, mm -hmm. why are you even taking this risk of, of voicing dissent on, on the internet if they're, if they're everywhere in, 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 in everything and can destroy your life with Bukele um, now I we're working on a theory with Matt Erickson uh, and a few others that about the PayPal mafia and we see his see the fingerprints of Peter Thiel all over this presidency but uh, yeah I've heard people make that point I don't have an opinion on that but I've heard people make that point you might want to check out this this thing called Prospera it's a really interesting um, thing they're doing. They're basically doing these test runs in, in South and Central America. I think Honduras is one of the big test sites. And it's they're basically, it's like uh, some people might call them smart cities or whatever have you. Freedom cities have been is something that Trump's been talking about doing in the United States. But they're basically like rebuilding cities with these sort of, this sort of new structural kind of ideas. Um, you know, if El Salvador might become the Bitcoin capital of the world yeah, pretty yeah. shortly, which which is maybe one of the reasons why they wanted to clean everything up. But regardless of of who's involved or what the ultimate motivations are, uh, you know, in to, in 2019, Bukele comes in, basically the entire political apparatus turns against him, tries to make sure he can't get on the ballot. He sneaks in, like he makes some maneuvers, sneaks in on a on a on a. Uh, he was. He came to power uh, with the center left, uh, center left party or left hand party, switches switches alliances and switches parties multiple times just to be able to get it voted in, and immediately cleans up El Salvador, which uh, in I think 2015 or 2017 was the murder capital of the world, uh, and in so, basically a few years cleans the whole thing up. Like if he goes in there thinking, well, we can't do anything, the cartels are too big, they're too powerful, then none of this happens. Well, yeah, I mean that's. Um... Yeah, it's, um, yeah, El Salvador too. I mean, I've written a lot about Dabuiso, who uh, was a fascinating guy, I think, um, you know, very much, uh, very much a, um, I mean, he, was, he was like a Stone Cold assassin, you know, like death squad commander, but he, he was also, he was a Calvinist of French descent, arch cold warrior. And, um, those political cultures, in Latin America created some, they, it, it generates some really interesting personages, you know? Um, and that's, yeah, these, some of these smaller States too, they're going to, people talk a lot about BRICS, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, Republic of South, South Africa. Um, it's constellations of these smaller States that are going to make an impact in terms of alternative uh, currency structures. And, um, you know, um, trading blocks 
and uh, IGOs that have a not a conventional military aspect, but definitely like a war and peace aspect, like the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. It's going to be like smaller states that actually produce dynamic personages, you know, constellation of these states more than these kinds of like giant failed states like India and South Africa and things. Like, again, people are thinking too much in like Westphalian terms where like bigger equals like potential, you know, like it's it's not um, it's not the way it is. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Latin America is interesting, man. Like, I got to learn more about it. I've never been down there, number one. Number two, like, I, I just don't, I just don't know a lot about the respective cultures there, political or um, ethno and um, confessional. Yeah, I think, I, I think most of my Latin or South, yeah, let's say Latin America kind of history comes down to like inflection points. Like, you have to kind of almost wait for something to kick off. And then you do all your background data afterwards, like what what was going on? But it's also at some point you gotta like, I mean, you can't you you, you can't be a master of everything proverbially. And uh and um I mean I think of myself as a political theorist. I'm not I'm not a military science guy and I'm not like a regional studies expert or something. I'm a political theory guy. The modern age is my big emphasis. The 20th century is kind of like the 20th and 21st centuries are like my sort of discreet wheelhouse. And, um, you know, like the theoretical constitution of of politics uh, in the modern era. You know, I mean, that's like, um, that's what people are always coming at me like, what do you think about like Singapore? And it's like heterodox economics. It's like, I, I don't know. Man. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, you probably know more than I do. You know, it's, um, so yeah, but it's, but that is laudable to, but what, like my point is, like, I don't care how learned you are in this, in your respective like subject area or like concentration area like in if if you study politics um you're basically going to be like you're almost like a fire investigator inspector you know it's like oh there's a fire over there like let me unpack like what caused it and like what the constituent elements are and oh i've never thought about these people before like what's their heritage you know capital h so, yeah, I want to see what you do with this headline, then we'll move into uh, plugging your new shows on YouTube and elsewhere. This is out of Bloomberg. Um, and again, no one should get too excited because it's Bloomberg. But again, headlines are very telling. Uh, this is a headline uh, that just uh, dropped on February 8th. Ditch the rules-based international order. The phrase is a linguistic atrocity. While the concept draws attention to America, uh, American hypocrisy in the Middle East and beyond, there is an alternative. Uh, and I'll do the t quick tildeer. What this guy is basically saying is that actually the uh, U.S. or the West in general should adopt, should actually, actually, you know, play by the same international laws that they uh, tend to co-sign, but don't uh, want to be beholden to, because uh, that way then they could actually, you know, bring Iran and China and uh, uh, other entities to court, but, but also would have to sacrifice Israel and maybe even America to hold them to the same standards, which, you know, is a, is a nice little uh, note to Santa Claus. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pointing in something in, in an interesting direction. And again, even to have this kind of headline on Bloomberg is, is showing you something. Uh, but of course the prognosis like in the, in the current regime is just absolute insanity. What do you think about that? What do you think about um, the, the, Let's say Western media slowly ditching Biden. Uh, now they're they're openly uh, talking about, at least in the British press, especially um, that Biden looks like he's unfit to serve. Um, we have, you know, Bloomberg talking about ditching the rules-based international order. Uh, we have Time basically running. I mean, if I didn't read the whole article, but in that Time piece, they have to throw a little bit of like, oh, you know, human rights and stuff. But you know. He is making everyone safer and stopping the rape and murder and torture of of, of young of young children. You know, they never talk about the, what the gangs were up to, but most of them were basically doing satanic rituals um, with the uh, with the population of El Salvador. So, what could you do with that? How do you how do you see the shifting in at least formal narratives playing into uh, maybe trying to? There's been a massive paradigm shift, and I'm always emphasizing that. And people say they're kind of like knee-jerk rebuttal is, well, the regime just do whatever it wants. It's like, no, it can't, because you have to sustain legitimacy. 
And especially if you, if, especially if you um, are asserting that you're a superpower, yes. and that you know there's a there's a there's a rare and unitary monolithic sovereignty that vests in your government, you can't be like literally senile, and you can't just uh, you know. And the issue with international law is that first of all, international law obviously is always permissive, not compulsory, because it can't be compulsory. And the law is not the, the the law is not some moral science that we discover through like Talmudic exegesis, and it's not, you know, it's not it's not it's not based on you know like some formal logic or something. You know, it basically it, it ref, it's like Oliver Wendell Holmes said. It it basically reflects like the political preferences of any given epoch, and um, it can be a meaningful it can be a meaningful paradigm if, in fact, you know, there is like a good faith um, even a good faith reigns between the constituent parties, and uh, there's like a basic moral consensus that facilitates interdependence at scale. Like, otherwise you're just pissing into the wind. And the problem with America is that it, it'll assert that the, like Russia deploying like on its frontier is a war crime. And like literally that same day, it'll like bomb some country 12,000 miles away. And like, it's, it's deployed in like 80 countries across the planet with hostility. Like you can't, you know, at some point this falls apart. And at some point, you just lose all credibility, you know. So, um, shrieking that everything is illegal, you know, um, in uh, you know, as, as kind of a stand-in for um, for a power political conflict um, that's kind of splendidly immoral in nature, axiomatically, you know, you can't you can't rule the world literally or figuratively. Um, with that, you know, with, through, like via incoherence and like shrieking moral outrage. With respect to Biden, they've got a real problem, man. I mean, they've had a problem for a long time, and um, they're going to have a real legitimacy crisis if they're going to just kind of like revert to form or revert to precedent. Rather, say we're just going to like we're, we're just going to like indict people who challenge Mr. Biden on trumped up charges declare him to be the greatest of all time chief executives and, you know, harvest ballots for, you know, a year um, and then declare that because we have more ballots than anybody else, like he's the president. Um, you know, that's uh, that's going to create a genuine legitimacy crisis. And um, it's going to cause confidence to bottom out just like moving forward. You know, and if you um, it's uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to fix elections, and the way the regime's doing it is 120% the wrong way. That's not how you do shit. So they um, they better swap him out for somebody, or they better stop uh, trying to play lawyer ball with the Republican nominee, or um, you know, the center really cannot hold. Um, I mean, that's my take on it, and that that no. Bloomberg, uh, you know, that's that it reflects that sensibility. You know, um, not 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 in terms of like values. I mean, but it it, it reflects the reality of the fact that the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room is uh, this legitimacy crisis, and um, it's not something people can just close their eyes to or to claim it doesn't matter because the regime can do what it wants. It, it can't just do what it wants. You know, man, I've been trying to say that exact what you've just laid down absolute fire. Uh, I've been saying similar things, but you've just said it in the only way that Thomas Seven Seven can ever possibly say it. I understand why you have a following. Sir. Uh, we're winding up on the hour. I don't want to keep you for too long, man. Um, what? So let's talk about Thomas TV for a second, because uh, okay. that's uh, you've launched that on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, do you have second season of Mind Phaser coming up now on Substack? Yeah, I've been dropping stuff still... from the vault, like things I have in the can. Like my dear friend who's kind of like my editor, not kind of, he's my editor, um, this guy Rake, he and I filmed this whole like basically kind of like a gonzo documentary of like our of our trip to Utah like last fall. And he's been editing that for a minute. It's kind of like a learning process, man. Like as we um as we uh as we kind of learn like how to like make proper videos. Um he's been busy on that, and I'm kind of trying to I want season two to, I, I want to up the ante in terms of quality. 
and um make it a real professional kind of sounding production so like what i've been releasing in terms of new pod content is like just kind of like random stuff like from the can you know i haven't formally launched season two but i but there will be next week i'm gonna launch i'm gonna drop another or upload another um like pod episode people haven't heard before um so there's gonna be there's gonna be every two weeks i'm gonna keep uploading like fresh pod content some of it might be a year old but nobody's heard it before but yeah just be patient man like season two is coming like official season two and um i think people will be very happy with it and yeah i'm I'm shooting more just kind of like off the cuff video like with these hood guys that i know like you've seen in these videos i've uploaded as well as some other people's and when uh when the weather gets nicer i'm gonna go i'm gonna go out to the west side and just kind of like shoot some stuff that i think people might find interesting you know and things like that and when i hit the road for vdare the vdare conference um i'm gonna turn that into kind of like a mini docu series and uh i just picked up uh i just picked up like this fire fucking like gimbal and like a bunch of other stuff so that i can kind of like make a camera out of my phone like a proper camera so that's i realized i was long-winded but yeah that's where we're at with thomas tv and stuff and like new videos fresh video shit i always upload it to my to, to the Substack first and then like i upload it to youtube later um so but it's always unless it's something like the utah video that's going to be behind the paywall but the regular video content is always going to be free yeah i'm looking forward to it i, I watched your first episode on um on youtube uh and yeah i'm man thomas you're you're a national treasure sir you're a gift and i uh again i thank you very much for coming on the show uh repeatedly it's uh it's a gift man i appreciate you no thanks um, for hosting me man this was a lot of fun hey let's we'll do it again uh ladies and gentlemen thank you very much uh please like subscribe do the bells or do the whistles uh i will probably be coming back on in sometime later um to do a post show uh private members chat you can subscribe to that it's two dollars uh for the month uh you can always check out the previous content and any new stuff coming up we're talking with matthew erickson sometime this weekend as well and putting up more stuff about civilizational capital uh there as well uh we've got talking to tommy salmons tomorrow on his show we're going to do a right live reading of jesus and the talmud yeah he's a good uh, dude i think it's gonna be a monthly uh tommy's amazing man yeah uh, yeah i mean yeah. i always learn he, stuff from him he's you know what man it was one of those things where um i've had this happen a few times but even before i had really talked to him or, or did a show i just looked at him like that's a good guy <laughs> like you just no, get that knows, sense of like you know he knows uh he know he knows scripture man and he knows um i mean i know scripture too i know a freaking calvinist but i but he uh, he knows both scripture front and back, and he's obviously he's like very learned in like the Orthodox faith. So yeah, I always I always learn stuff from him, man. Like he's a great dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like, subscribe, send us your money, send us your super chats, and all the things. Uh, we appreciate you. I'm gonna play you out, uh, Thomas. You want to stick around for two secs? We'll talk a little bit afterwards. Uh, thanks again, folks, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>